welcome to the Data Leadership Lessons Podcast. I'm your host, Anthony Algman. Data is everywhere in our businesses and it takes leadership to make the most of it. We bring you the people, stories, and lessons to help you become a data leader. We've partnered with Dataversity to provide listeners with 20% off your first training center purchase with promo code AlgmanDL. Go to dataleadershiptraining.com to learn more. Today on episode 96, we welcome Jack McGinnis. Jack is an executive team coach and co-founder of Relationship Impact, a consulting firm focused on helping organizations build great leadership teams. Jack, welcome to the show. Hey, thanks so much for having me, Anthony. I appreciate it. So we're excited to have you here. Why don't you just take a few minutes and give us kind of that story of your career and yeah, how sure. those earlier experiences led you into kind of what you're doing now. Yeah, there is sort of a, a method to why I do what I do today. As we were talking about a little bit earlier, it just wasn't a linear path for sure. Um, so I'll, I'll give you the, a little bit of the background from a leadership perspective. So early on, you know, I went to West Point, so that's a, a sort of a leadership um, petri dish, I guess you, you would call it. And, and uh, so I went there, and right when I graduated from there, you know, everyone you you, you graduate and you get in a leadership position as a lieutenant. Um, uh, and from my perspective, I was a I was an infantry. Uh, platoon leader with the 10th Mountain Division. So I, um, I had, you know, when I first started, I had about 35 guys that were work for me and, and, um, and I was 22 and they were, you know, 19. <laughs> so, so it was, uh, it was a, an amazing experience. And, and really, you know, the good, th the good thing that the, the military does, particularly in, in, in infantry settings is, you know, you have a platoon sergeant and a cadre of sergeants that work for you but you really learn from them right you know and 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 so that's kind of that had this whole non-commissioned officer uh construct in in uh in the united states is a, is a big foundational element of how how officers are really trained in in um in in the military so i learned a lot you know, you come in there hard charging, you think you know a lot more than you do. And, and I, I learned very quickly that I didn't know a lot and that I needed to take a step back and learn a, a little bit about uh, not only the technical aspects of, of running a infantry platoon, but also how to lead people. And, and um, you know, I, I think I had some innate capabilities from, you know, just from growing up and and uh, but so that that was sort of that was definitely foundational, you know, my, my, you know, learning the the trials and tribulations of and, and the, the good and bad of how, how to how to manage uh, other people at a very early age. I uh, learned some great lessons there. And, and I think one of the one of the th one of the biggest things I think you you learn is uh, a sense of humility and a sense of self-awareness that you you don't know everything and it's okay that you don't know everything. Uh, um, I'm not sure I caught on to that right away, but uh, it was anxiety provoking, not knowing how to do a lot of stuff, but, uh, but you know, you learn and, and, um, and, and it's really, you, you really, what I think I really, one of the key lessons I learned early in, in that experience was that you serve the people that you, uh, that you lead. And um, I learned that and, you know, they, they may work for you, but you really work for them as well. Um, and I, I, I really I really learned that uh, early, early on. Um, so I had some great experience in the military. And then and then, you know, I, I, I get out of the military, I got my MBA. So I'm an engineer by education. And then I got a, an MBA. So I'm a, a very right brain thinker that is logical and 
you know, there's a plan for this, there's a process for that. And so I became a management consultant. I got a very cool opportunity uh, out of my MBA program to work for a guy who was from Deloitte. He was about 15 years older than me, who was starting his own management consulting firm. So I became one of his first employees mm. and not only learned how to be a good consultant from this guy and from many of my colleagues that, that were many years older than me in this, in this organization, um, but also learned how to build an organ, a company from nothing. Um, and so as he was building this, I became over time, I became his chief operating officer and we grew to, a, you know, a pretty cool boutique management consulting firm. And, and so I learned, uh, how to be a consultant and work with a lot of different cool organizations and in, in that capacity. And I also, I also learned, uh, how to build something from scratch, which was, which was, uh, both were very, very cool opportunities. And so from a leadership perspective, you know, as a consultant, your whole job is to, uh, is to research, be diligent and to influence, right? You don't get to tell anyone what to do necessarily. Right. And then from a, you know, from a, from a building an organization perspective, it's, you know, putting the pieces together and, and learning how to be a player coach and then more of a coach. And, and so that, you know, that came from that experience. And, and so I, my next, my next job after that is, uh, I, I, it was a great, great business model. We had, we all made pretty good money, but I, I, uh, it was a burnout model too. So I, I left and, uh, I looked for another venture and, and with a couple of, uh, passive partners, I bought a company. Um, so, Another experience uh, and an you know anxiety-provoking experience. I bought a contract packaging company up in Harrisburg, Pennsylvania. We did consumer products packaging uh, for you know Godiva, Unilever, companies like that. And hmm. and so bought an existing company. It was a turnaround, so used a lot of the management consulting practices I had. But I, what I learned very early there is that it's a lot easier to give advice than it is to actually do, you know, do it yourself. And uh, as CEO of that company, uh, I often felt very alone. Um, um, and, and again, had that same experience that I had as a lieutenant where I had a, where I thought I was supposed to know a little bit more than I should have. I don't know why I didn't, you know, I didn't, those lessons didn't hold as much as they should have, but, uh, you know, I, I, Best best thing I ever did was hire a CFO that was a, a lot older than me that had some uh, good experience under him, and you know we we were really good partners in crime um, in terms of learning. So I learned a lot about um, you know how to delegate more, uh, how to empower people without uh, you know squashing them too much. Um, a little bit about empathy, right? Because a lot you know. It's, it's tough. It's a tough business, um, by the way. Um, and so, you know, some other great lessons, right. And then, and then, um, the, probably one of the biggest, you know, biggest lessons I learned was, uh, going bankrupt. We, in, in this, this firm went bankrupt in, uh, with the financial crisis in 2009. And, um, we, uh, got our legs taken out from under us. We were aggressive and over leveraged and, bought a lot of equipment to bring in new customers and, and, uh, and then, the, you know, a lot of the companies brought their contracts back in house and we, we were left holding, holding the bag. And, uh, so, uh, you know, all that be, we could have structured it differently. We could have done a lot of different things, but from a leadership perspective, you know, the, the, um, 
I think the thing I was most proud of is how we dealt with the people and our vendors going through those tough times. And, you know, it's uh, do the right thing is, 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 was the mantra there for sure. Uh, as best as you possibly can in some difficult certain circumstances. So fast forward to now, I, I uh, was in a midlife crisis back then, started relationship impact with a classmate of mine from college who uh, was uh, work at GW getting his PhD in leadership. And, um, and so we put our heads together and, and it's morphed into some different shapes and forms, but really we're, what we do now uh, is work with the executive teams of small to mid-sized companies to help them build strong leadership teams. And I'm sure we'll get more into that now, but, but that, you know, as you can see, the path wasn't linear, but there, there are a couple things that really, um, enabled me to do what I do now. And I think, you know, what, what I do now, I think we do it pretty well is, um, the experiences we've had with many, many different companies in many different set settings in um, some chaotic situations and leading organizations through some chaotic times. Um, I think the experience is, uh, and the empathy with going through failure and crisis uh, has helped me be a better um, uh, partner and coach to the, the executives and teams I work with. Well, that that's an incredible story. And, and there's so many things I want to follow up on in that, but I was just kind of riveted because, and, and I really just want to thank you for your openness about either, you know, failure through a bankruptcy or just recognizing your own anxieties or recognition that you don't know everything. You know, I think it's yeah. important facet for anyone to realize like nobody has it all figured out and it's you're a fool if you think you do and certainly come off like a fool if you act like you do and so it's the really um, is you got people, people my age my generation i'm late 50s right um we we were sort of taught that you had to know a lot um and and that's kind of the mantra and you know information age changed all of that very dramatically and quickly um and so you, you, even back then, you really couldn't know everything either, but <laughs> but you thought you had to. Yeah, I, I feel like I'm lucky that I came of age at the right time. Like, I think I have a pretty fast processor overall, but like, I can't remember anything. So like yeah, being right. able to look something up quickly and, and to like resynthesize stuff quickly is, is, is definitely plays to my, my personal strengths and weaknesses as well. But I, I really appreciate... Um, you know, you mentioned something when you were talking about being a CEO of a, of a firm you'd bought and, and doing that, there was a thought that I had, cause you talked about, you know, how you had to learn to kind of delegate. And it made yeah. me think like you had these experiences, you've worked at different places and, and consulting or otherwise you've been in the military and you've been an entrepreneur where it's your money on the line and you're at the head of, you're at the top of the pyramid in terms of the org structure and all that. And I wonder is, is it, it's gotta be a bit difficult to delegate under the circumstances where you're the one who owns the company or your life is on the line compared to if you're just working at a place and you have a team, like, oh, I can delegate something to that. Is there a fundamental difference in feeling when you're doing that? Or is it more similar than I may be giving it credit to? Yeah. So I, I think, um, you know, in, in, you know, if you look at the military, my military experience, which, you know, it was a few years as, as a platoon leader and an executive officer um, and in the contract packaging world, right, uh, as a CEO of that company, 
I have no choice but to have to delegate because I really, you know, I didn't, I didn't know a lot, right? I didn't, I, I knew enough to be dangerous around how to set up a production line, right? But I didn't know the equipment as well as the folks that worked for me did. I didn't know warehousing as much as the po people that worked for me, you know, and the whole logistics side of stuff. What I did know is sales and marketing. I was pretty good at that. And so I'll give you a, a good sense of it. Like I, I hired a, 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 guy, a senior guy from Hershey who ran the plant for me, right? And and so I was pretty smart because I I was able to hire someone that knew what the hell they were doing and and could you know could make things work. Uh, um, and so I was it was easy for me to delegate there. Less so on the sales side. I had a marketing guy work for me. I think I drove him out of his mind, right? And mm -hmm. and a sales guy too. And because. I tried to do too much and tried to do their jobs for them sometimes. So I, I, uh, I mean, I, I, I and, and, the, and the same on the financial side too. I knew, I knew enough about fin the financial stuff to be dangerous. So I got in the CFO's way a little bit. Fortunately, he was older than me and he just said, back off, you know? And, and, and uh, so, so, yeah, delegation is, is somewhat easy when you, when you don't know exactly how to do what you're, supposed to be doing there and but but uh, when you when you have some expertise and stuff then that's when i think it gets harder it's it's a great point and for me it's data architecture right like i can't help but meddle when data architecture is involved because right. that's where i grew up functionally right and so right. that's my sweet spot so i i have all these opinions that are actually right. rooted in some knowledge versus knowing hey i this person on my team does something that i just don't understand right. i try to help support them and try to understand it as best i can from my perspective but i don't have that level of knowledge to where i can get i can meddle to a point so i have to check that like what yeah, the closer it is to that thing i know i have to make sure i'm not you know it's getting too close even in some of those areas uh you know my personality is meddling you know so <laughs> i i i would i had an opinion about everything right and uh but i also had some people that worked with me or for me that uh were not afraid to say hey we got this and you don't really know what you're doing, you know, in a nice way. And, um, you know, and so I, it's not that I want, wanted to hear that, but, but, but that, that pushback was, uh, was really, and I wasn't afraid to get pushback on. So, um, yeah. Yeah, no, that's it's 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 I think about a time where someone that I was working with um, on a consulting engagement, I was doing some consulting work, and and she she turned to me, and she's like, she's like, you know, you're fussy, and and I'm <laughs> like, I'm like, I am fussy, but I've also realized I'm not terribly attentive to details, so I'm like yeah. at this like horrible mix of being both particular yeah. and not yeah. very attentive to detail, and so yeah. like, and, and it really varies on the situation because actually in some cases I really am fussy, very attentive to detail, and other places I can't get my head around the detail. And it's it's a weird mix, so I, it got, it got me thinking there. But regardless, um, so you you have this focus in in the business that you've created now with relationship impact, and and one of the things that kind of threads all of this experience together is this focus on teams and leadership teams and how they can best be effective. And I, and I really loved your introduction because it helps us just kind of understand where you're coming from because you have such an appreciation for how others on your teams or that you've been part of a team with really help your success and help your knowledge and growth move along. And right. so how did you determine that this was the business that you wanted to create with your co-founder? And then how, how do you, um, 
How do you go about understanding that and, and guiding people in, in that space? You know, so I think, uh, you know, when Gil Brady, my, my partner who I met at West Point when I was, but we were both 17, we we're pretty young guys and now we're, you know, closest friends. But, uh, when we, when we put our heads together, we were like, you know, we have, we felt like, and again, this is a, a long story, very short. We, we, uh, over time, we, we, we really kind of felt like we had something very interesting to say about teams. We weren't overly articulated, articulate about it to start, but, um, you know, we, we got lucky cause we had some, uh, friends that were running companies that gave us a chance and, and, um, uh, and helped us test our approach. And, um, and so what we saw, what our point of view was that we saw were, uh, leadership teams in many of the organizations that we've worked, we had worked with as consultants or in Gil's case, as the head of, uh, uh, marketing and sales at a pharmaceutical company, um, where we saw the teams that were actually getting in their own way and holding their organizations back versus what a, a good team is supposed to be doing is help accelerate the organization. Right. And in many cases we saw, um, those either the CEO or the team collectively holding the organizations back. Mm -hmm. And so we were like, man, we think we have a point of view on how to address that. You know, we're not stupid enough to know we can fix it in every situation, but, but we felt like we had some, uh, some thoughts, ideas, and ultimately what we came up with is a methodology and approach where we could help teams, um, you know, be that accelerator function and get out of their own way. Mm -hmm. I really value the experiences that I've had in my own career because having been a consultant or having been in industry in, in different contexts, I'd never been in the military, but I've seen these different examples across many different industries <laughs> and the ability to spot patterns and to be able to understand kind of the implications of those patterns. And this is the, in, in coaching I've done for, for other consultants, I'm curious how this lands with you. It's consulting first, like first stage consulting, hundred level consulting is being able to understand the patterns and spot the patterns. And yeah. then elevated consulting is being able to know what makes this company unique compared to the pattern. And so you patterns are, are the table stakes. It's what makes a great consultant is being able to understand the twists, the key changes yeah. that make this company's problems unique and difficult to solve. Because if you can pinpoint that, then you can unlock the coaching that you need to give to those leaders in that company to, to be able to write whatever is, is, is the challenge in front of them at, at that point. Do, would you agree with that? Or do you think it's I, more I would, about I the would. patterns? I would agree with you a hundred percent. And I think if you, you know, if we're honest with ourselves, Gil and I over, over the quarter, I mean, we've been doing this for 13 years now, you know, we struggle, we had some struggles up front, you know, because you, you, and it's not so much we were trying to put a cookie cutter approach in place, but we're trying to put some principles and practices in place, right. And, mm -hmm. and so you have, you, you know, I think Gil was probably always better at this than I, I was, but, but, uh, or mm -hmm. I am, uh, it's, it's recognizing that every organization is, is unique. Um, and while there's some patterns and some 
common challenges that you might be seeing on the surface, those challenges might not manifest themselves the same way based on the, the uh, you know, the construct of the organization you're dealing with. So I, I, that resonates with me a lot. And oftentimes I find myself saying, well, they really shouldn't be doing that. That doesn't, that doesn't make a lot of sense to me. And, and then I check myself and I'm like, well, maybe let just ask a few more questions and see if in the context, you know, so, so I'm working with a very fast paced entrepreneurial company right now and they lost their seat. CF, uh, sorry, their human resource officer last summer, right? And um, and so, you know, my natural reaction was, yeah, you better fill that role and get it, you know. And, and long story short, they still haven't filled that role and everything's going just fine. The president had really good instincts around the young woman she put in, in, in the place, um, and so they're not getting everything done, but they're getting what they need to get done for where they're at in their journey. Um, I think they're pushing up against it now. So my only point there was like, you know, my advice instincts were you got to move, right? And her, her, she didn't even push back. She just kind of ignored me. <laughs> she just said, yeah, we're going to, we're going to take this and methodically. Right. And so that's a really good example of, you know, current, current state. This is, I've been working with this company for a couple of years now. And, and so I'm still learning those lessons. Yeah. Well, it, it, it ties into another point that I know I'll be pre preaching to the choir on this one, but it's, it's, one of the worst things that a consultant can come in to do as, as they're uh, engaging with a, a, a client is to come in and think you know more than they do about their business. Because yeah. I can yeah. promise you, you don't. They yeah. know their business better than you ever will. But yeah. if you can identify patterns of behavior and nuanced changes or, or things that make them unique, you may be able to provide a perspective that they lack. And that's really the goal is, can I provide a perspective and bring it from a place of, of your own knowledge that you can add to the solutioning of, of whatever they need to do versus trying to say, I can come in and do their job better than them. You, you can't, they, they know more, yeah. they've been there, they're in the details every day. They know their answers from their perspective. What you're trying to do is illuminate the dark side of whatever it is that you're trying to understand. I, I think that's right, yeah. And um, yeah, I think you said it very articulately. I might steal that. <laughs> <laughs> please do, please do. I mean, because it, it, it's it's the same thing that, that you're talking about. Now, one thing I do want to um, talk about while we still have a little bit of time is that you've also written a book. And and so you have a yeah. book that's out there. Can you yeah. talk a little bit about what your book's about and, and how that connects to, to what we've been talking about today? Yeah, so, um, you know, that the, one of the first clients that we had, um, um, you know, where I had done a couple iterations with him and his team over a course of like three year period of time. And, you know, we're out to lunch one day uh, during the, at, towards the end of the second kind of iteration. And he's like, look, man, you're really, you, you guys are pretty good at this, um, but you really don't have much of a point of view. Um, I don't, you know, I don't, you don't write a lot. You don't, you know, you don't, you don't speak a lot. And, and so his point was, if you really want to do something with this and really be a thought leader and, and um, gain some more credibility, 
um, you you know, you need to tell your story better. And so it took me a long time uh, up and, you know, I just published this book in June. But but I st- from that point on, I started writing. I, you know, I got I write for Chief Executive Magazine every two or three months or so. And uh, and and so that really got me on the journey of documenting what we're doing. Right. And, and telling the story. And and so fast forward couple of years ago, I was like, I, you know, I probably, sh- I probably should write this down in a book. And really what, what, what building great leadership teams is all about is it has three big com- sections to it, right? It's got, the first is why leadership teams are so important um, in, from our perspective. The second is, uh, has two components to it. Why, you know, how do you build a great leadership team? From our perspective, there's structural things that build a great team and there's relational dynamics that that reinforce a great team. And there is an interplay between the two of those things. And then, you know, and the third part is like, how do you how do you do it? What do you what do you, what do, you do to, to to build and, and what's the CEO's role in it, for example, um, because, uh, you know, it goes all goes back to, you know, it's all about having the executive team being an accelerating body for the organization as they're trying to achieve whatever they're trying to achieve, right? It's a, it could be a nonprofit, it could be a for-profit entity, um, but there's always some sort of goal, right? And so are we getting in the way or are we helping accelerate? And oftentimes we're getting in our way. And, and oftentimes we're getting in a way and it's really, it's just annoying and it's just not that big a deal. You, you don't need anyone to help you with that. But, but if it's getting in the way and it's holding you back and it's bleeding down into the other facets of the organization, then you need to do something about it. And, um, and, and, you know, and most CEOs will address a problem like this as consultants do with a structural solution. We'll fire him, hire her. Uh, we'll put a new process in place. We'll, you know, and that'll fix the problem. But behind the scenes, there's been all this relational damage. Adults don't tend to like to confront each other, for example. Like, and so there's passive aggressive crap and that bleeds down into, you know, the warehouse, not talking to the salespeople, like all, all those kind of things. They, they're, re- they're real and they actually really happen. And if you look up, you can typically see there's something going on with the leadership team that's potentially letting that happen. And so that's, you know, from, from our perspective, like we're, we're, we're all about how do you, how do you build the right structure and the right, right relational damage so that the team can be an accelerating body. I really like how you talk about how the leadership team is, is an accelerator for the business. And I like thinking about, uh, parallels and and you know I, I think a lot about technology as an amplifier to the business or to to the data, and I think about the parallel of, of technology as an accelerator and how some things if we don't realize what technology exists to do, which is to the accelerate business success, sometimes the technology gets created in a way that makes things slower. And this is all just basically an opportunity for me to rant about one of my latest um, uh, annoyances, which is the, the technology and the applications and the user interfaces that require me to do 16 clicks when three would do. And, and so Mm -hmm. there's a lot of things that are, are, emphasizing visual beauty or like cleanness of the visual 
but is relying on, and this is particularly notable in like web interfaces and stuff lately, that they'll they'll do an upgrade which makes it look cleaner, but it's been developed not by people who understand the business, but by people who understand design or marketing. And they fail to realize that all of these clicks to do a simple task really degrades the ability for that technology to be utilized efficiently. And so if we do that on the technology side, or if we then bring it back to our leadership team side, if we are engaging and interacting as a leadership team with inefficient mechanisms, then does that degrade the output of the the leadership teams? And so that leads me to the question, naturally, in in our current state here in uh, late August of, of 2022, you know, have there been material changes in how leadership teams function or the effectiveness of how they function in a world now dominated by virtual collaboration versus in-person collaboration? Have you seen additional challenges due to that physical separation as part of the pandemic? Or do you see yeah, leadership no. teams overcoming that? I, I Well, I see teams and organizations overcoming it. Um, you know, I have, I, I was very fortunate to have a few clients, uh, right when the pandemic hit. Right. And, and so I had, again, a Petri dish of, of companies to look at. Right. And there was one, this, this, this fast growing entrepreneurial commercial bank in New York that, uh, that I've been working with, man, they, they had prepared themselves. They didn't even know it, but from a technology perspective, they hit the ground running, on and think they had to do these PPP loans and stuff too. And and so I'm not suggesting that they didn't, there was some brute force that didn't go into some of it in the back end, but getting everyone virtual and then getting people communicating, they, they did a magical job at it as opposed to a couple of other companies that, that tried to prescribe too much of the rules of the game and it, it backfired on them. And uh, if that, does that make sense? Like there was, there was too much, like the, the entrepreneurial flavor of this organization, they were just like, go and Mm -hmm. we'll, we'll get, you know, we'll get you a laptop. We'll get you a, you know, what you need. And, and, um, and then they just, they, they use teams and they just like, it just, you know, so, and so, in my experience, which is not huge, right, in in this world, in the question you're asking, I see people, I see organizations overcoming this. <clears throat> I see people my age still uh, stressed about it, and and like, why isn't everyone in the office? And uh, you know, I just had an, a, a conversation with a CEO I'm working with earlier, and she's she's like, you know, I'm struggling to get people to back, and I and my question is always, is the work getting done? You know, and 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 what about the culture? How's the culture? You know, and and so I, I hear what people are saying that it t- takes a hit on culture, but I just think it takes a little extra work. Um, so I don't know if that that was kind of a roundabout way of getting to your question. I, I'm seeing it work, and I'm I'm actually seeing the combination of the this video stuff and the, the virtual stuff and and being present sometimes really working well. Yeah, I think I think you're right. And I, and I think that we can mostly agree like that the future of work is hybrid. There's there's going to be some times where we do get people together. There's going to be times when people are are apart. But I don't know that many people think we're going back to the old ways anytime soon. Uh, That's why sure. I was, I was um, actually surprised 
last week you, you see uh, Apple just said they're going back, you know, and they had an uprising. They're, they said, we got to come back to work three days a week and people went crazy. And, you know, what, and I look at my son, my, soft, my son's a software engineer for Google. He lives in Denver, works in Boulder, ends in New York for three days working at their office in New York. Like, I don't think skipping a beat, you know, it's kind of wild. Yeah. And, and sometimes I work, I think, you know, from a leadership perspective, I think sometimes we come up with solutions that are in search of problems and, and we sometimes yeah. misstate what the actual problem is. Like in this case, we think, oh, we need to get people back to the office. Well, no, what we need to do is make sure we are continuing to support an identity as a company or that we are continuing to fulfill the needs of our employees to have strong morale and strong connections with each other. Yeah. But the, the, the problem isn't that people aren't in the office. The problem is actually there's some things that are very directly tied to our success as a business that we need to make sure that we're solving for, but we can't just naturally assume it's a perfect proxy to say, oh, well, we used to be in the office and now we're struggling with these things. Maybe now we need to get people back in the office. It doesn't work like that. It's not the solution anymore. It's actually going to cause even yeah, more I, trouble as I, I evidence would, with I would, Apple. I would agree with that. I, I would definitely agree with that. I do... I do passionately believe that a combination of in-person time and maybe mostly virtual is like, I, I you know, again, I'm, I'm at, at my, I'm 57 years old. Like I, I the, the thought of not in, having any interactions with the teams that I work with face to face, having grabbing a beer or something like I, I, I struggle with it. I really do. But you know, we'll see. I mean, it certainly helped my learned. business. I can, do, I can do this and it costs me a lot less. It costs the client a lot less to fly me places. And, you know, it's just, it's, it's not, it's not yeah. a bad gig. Fewer, fewer flight delays is, is good news for everybody, you know, like yeah. that yeah. It, you spend so much wasted time for those moments. And, and there's still that, that emphasis. And I know, like, I am one who likes to be in the office. I live on the energy yeah. I get from being face to face with people, yeah. but I am also yeah. the biggest advocate of saying, do we need it? Or is this about something else? And like, let's be thoughtful yeah. and intentional all the time. So while we still have a couple minutes, there's one other question that I'm going to ask you about is, you know, we look at these leadership teams and this is a data leadership uh, podcast. And so one of the things that I'm curious about is how do we measure and actually quantify the effectiveness of, of leadership, of leadership teams, of, of the individuals participating. Do you have any advice on, on like how we might be able to measure that more effectively? Because yeah. I think there's a lot of focus into what we're doing, but a lot of times we forget, hey, these things could be measured and should be measured as well. Yeah, no, I think, I, and I, you know, we, 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 uh, we believe that too. Um, and, and it can, it's, it, it's not as tangible as like, you can't like, I, I, you, you can't directly say, Hey, you worked with relationship impact for the last year and now your sales went up and you're more profitable. Like I, that would be an innate, that would be asinine. Right. But what we can do is we start off mo most of our engagements with using a, a an objective instrument that measures, um, structural elements of building a team and relational dynamics of building a team. And it talks about how their interplay between them. So it gives you a baseline for, um, you know, this team we, we think, and the people below us think we can, we interact kind of destructively together, 
So, so that's something we're going to work on. And what, you know, what does that mean? Like, and so we peel back. So building, there, there is a, a foundation you can build to measure from, right? And so we use these as dialogue starters and as baselines. And what they do is they serve as the vehicle for the commitments that the teams need to make to each other to make improvements as a collective unit and as individuals. Mm-hmm. Um, that are serving as members of that team. So, cause it, it's a combination of both. So, so yeah, I, I mean, there is, but you know, measuring measure, measurement, it's really a, a subjective way, uh, putting some objectivity on a subjective science. Nice. That makes, that makes a lot of sense. So Jack, we're just about out of time. So thank you. Um, before we go, uh, what's the best way for folks to find you after the show? Yeah, so I'm um, my my website is relationship-impact.com, and you can go directly to Amazon to building great leadership teams: a practical approach for unleashing the full potential of your team. Um, and the book the book is on there. So awesome, Jack McGinnis. Thank you for being on the show today. It's been great. Yeah, thanks, Anthony. I appreciate it. And thank you all for joining us today. As always, you'll find more information and all the links in the show notes. Go to dataleadershiplessons.com to subscribe and check out our past episodes and accelerate your journey with training at dataleadershiptraining.com. If you're enjoying Data Leadership Lessons and are interested in electric vehicles, check out my new podcast at electricdrives.us. We give you the information you need to transition to your electric vehicle future. And as always, stay safe during these unusual times and go make an impact. 